0: Welcome to these Meditation and Philosophy Podcasts. I'm Al McGee speaking to you from Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada. About Socrates, the greatest of the ancient Greek philosophers, Jacob Needleman says that, and I quote, everything we know about him and his greatness has to do with something that took place in the form of dialogue with him. Something that took place in the form of dialogue. Well, it appears that the effect of a Socratic dialogue was to produce a cataclysmic eruption in the soul. That's the something that took place in this kind of conversation. An inner explosion of some kind happened, an inner upheaval that by its nature, says Needleman, is the experience of a specific sort of suffering. Well, that suffering specifically is about questioning yourself as you have never done before. It's actually to find yourself in a state of self interrogation through a Socratic dialogue, your very being comes into question. Now when I think of the Socratic effect, which is the creation of this specific sort of suffering, this deep, deep questioning, this self interrogation, I look back to a dialogue with a very great teacher. The dialogue occurred in a yoga intensive where 12 of us were studying the sacred texts of India. I don't exactly recall the content of the dialogue, but I well remember its effect. I tried to say something at one point to my teacher in a conversation and I couldn't. I think I was, I was trying to counter her with perhaps some belief of mine at the time. I was thinking I wanted to assert some perhaps well-rehearsed talking point, probably some insight that had perhaps wowed people over the years, something like that. But suddenly my conviction was gone. I sat there sort of stunned into silence, like just dazed. And right at that point, the teacher looked at me Instantly responding, she says, very good, Al, very good. Like I was so surprised, very good, Al. She just looked at me and her eyes were laughing. Her response amazingly wasn't, I gotcha. wasn't anything like that at all. She wasn't gleeful or triumphant. I didn't feel at all that she had it over me or was out to get me. I rather felt that she was delighting in me and I felt loved. It was really quite astonishing. I felt then that in this dialogue, in this conversation, it's a Socratic dialogue, I felt that she was hearing unknown depths at the heart of me. Again, true dialogue, a real encounter. Through this dialogue, she had not been listening so much to my surface self, but to something deeper in me, a deeper unknown self. And suddenly in the course of the conversation, that surface self just vanished and I couldn't talk. I had been, in a sense, stripped bare and had become on the spot, utterly vulnerable and open. It was an experience that was disconcerting in one way, but also liberating. It was disturbing in, in one level, but it was emancipating at the same time. It's sort of been my measure ever since of a really good conversation that in uh, a great dialogue, the fruit of a great dialogue, you begin to share with someone on this level of a shared specific sort of suffering, like a deep level of self-interrogation. Now, I've come to understand that this specific sort of suffering affected by Socrates or what happens in a real encounter in real conversation is actually the absolute prerequisite for a breakthrough in understanding and likewise, the necessary prelude to deep spiritual experience. Like you've got to go there. You've got to go to that place of deep self-interrogation. And I've long observed, in contrast, that fundamentalists of all kinds, stripes, stripes, shapes, sizes, whether religious or humanist, they never feel this specific sort of suffering. In fact, they live in fundamentalist fortresses to make sure they never do. The last thing on earth they ever want to feel are the spiritual convulsions and seizures that come about because of the Socratic effect. For if they were ever to feel this quality of suffering, they'd have to surrender their various surface certainties, that is, their various idolatries or ideologies, and would be left then in unknown territory, frightened and alone. The fabulous case in point here is that Jacob Nealman cites the case of Alcibiades, a student of Socrates, perhaps his best. When involved in a dialogue with Socrates, Alcibiades testified quote, Whenever I listen to him, My heart beats faster than if I were in a religious frenzy and tears run down my face and I observe that numbers of other people have the same experience. Alcibiades then says, nothing comes close to this anywhere else. He exclaims, nothing of this kind ever happened when I listened to Pericles and other good speakers. I recognize that they spoke well, but my soul was not thrown into confusion and dismay by the thought that my life is no better than a slave's. So there's like a painful realization of your uh, inadequu- inadequacies, how, fall, how far short you're falling of your own expectations or any kind of higher expectations. But there also, as I said, be, there's this joy as well, a sense of liberation. So Alzebaides feels so inspired and, and in pain, but inspired that he finds himself in a heart quickening religious frenzy. There are tears running down his face. Well, Needleman explains that the impact of Socrates is to produce in a man this specific sort of suffering, which again, I I keep saying it in different ways. One way of of thinking of this is that this suffering involves seeing yourself against a very high criterion of what a human being should be or could be. So again, the, the effect of Socrates is that you examine yourself as you may never have before. This was the artistry of Socrates, that through a great conversation, he would expose what was false and superficial. He was a master, says Needleman, of showing people that they did not understand what they thought they understood. He was, in other words, a master at taking away people's certainties. It appears that Socrates wanted people to rely less on their surface certainties, and to become aware of something else, something more, to enter hitherto unknown, unexplored, unknown inner depths. Therefore, the effect of Socratic inquiry was, according to Niedelman, to deliver the human being from, in a great phrase, from the known to the unknown. The result of a Socratic dialogue is that your surface certainties crumble and there comes the liberating realization that you are more than what you had known yourself to be. So instead of being chock full of sugary certainties, sugary, shallow certainties, I become aware that there's so much more. I'm not merely my arms and legs. I'm not merely my nose not merely my opinions, not even just my words or my thoughts or my sensations. I'm not just my organs. I'm rather so much more rich, deep, and varied. A human being, a rich, varied in multiple dimensions. So there's more to me than is commonly supposed, more to you than you've known. We are mysteries. We are unknown worlds. And thus, as long as there's only like a one level awareness, the limited awareness of the one dimensional human being, the humanist or religious fundamentalist, there can be no vision and no understanding. There's just the repetition of all your talking points and that's it. It's not coming from within because that essential inner spiritual eruption has not happened yet. It's therefore only when we experience this specific certain kind of suffering, this exceedingly deep self-questioning that we can enter that other unknown world, that deeper world. Only then do we become real. Only then do we become true. Only then do we become a friend or partner worth having. Welcome to these Meditation and Philosophy Podcasts. I'm Al McGee. I'm speaking to you from my home in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Well, I tend not restlessly to be looking for action, as in that song often played in aerobics classes during the 1980s. I actually looked it up. It reads, I'm looking for action, action, nothing more than a physical attraction. I'm looking for satisfaction. Can you give it to me? Well, not quite my style and not exactly any introverts theme song. Now, not only am I not looking for action, but I'm inclined also not to be looking for what are sometimes called good times. As almost any crowd gathers for action and for good times, I will be somewhere else and I hope exceedingly hard to find, nowhere to be found. I'll be a long way off and as far away from possible as possible from the noisy crowds. For I've ever been like my lifelong friend, Mark, whose mother recalls that Mark during high school years would always come home disappointed after yet another weekend party. My experience too, always disappointed at the big bash. All was left feeling empty and alone. So back in high school, I opted out of all that, and instead chose to spend time on Saturday evenings with a friend who shared my love for the music of the celestial British band, the Moody Blues. So come Saturday night, while everybody we knew was partying hard, we'd order a pizza and settle into an evening with the Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart shows, Wild Times. Well, then we'd play our Moody Blues records, sometimes into the wee hours of the morning. I can recall in particular one night, Mike and I stayed up till 5am and what we were doing was analyzing the covers of the Moody Blues albums. Pure bliss. Well, I would say in our own terms, those were good times, the best of times. It was a bit of an effort by two 19-year-olds to live in a more contemplative way, to resist participating so fully and pathetically with the culture. It was around that time that I discovered, through my research and study, the inspiring and I would say, discriminating spirit of Thomas Merton, who exclaimed, and I quote, Do everything you can to avoid the noise and business of men. Keep as far away as you can, he said, from the places where they gather to cheat and insult one another to exploit one another, to laugh at one another, or to mock one another with false gestures of friendship. He goes on, be glad if you can keep beyond the reach of their radios, and and exclaims, do not bother with their songs. Merton, the Trappist monk with the laughing eyes, had no interest in noisy pagan parties. He'd done that, been there, done that, had had quite enough of it, and searched for an alternative. He searched for something more. Another pal- parallel here is Plato, the great philosopher, like going back thousands of years, like Merton, challenged the undiscriminating partygoers of his day, said he, and I quote, they look on their music as if it were mere amusement and think no harm can come from it. That is, they're always looking to be entertained without realizing or even caring, perhaps, that they're numbing their minds and soiling their souls. They are, in other words, caught up in amusing themselves to death. They tend not to be asking whether their latest way of entertaining themselves is morally or spiritually uplifting. And if questioned, the stock response is, well, it's only entertainment. Well, the question is, what's the long-term effect of a lifestyle of stupefying yourself at this event or that every weekend, instead of making at least some effort to become a dignified and admirable human being? Not long ago, my wife and I thought of going to a film, uh, to a Saturday afternoon flick during a weekend trip to Seattle. But as the time drew near, we both became so occupied by our reading. And I remember I was doing a little writing that morning. We left, we just let the time pass and then it was too late to see the film. And you know, neither of us even looked up at each other. Neither of us even cared. Which reflects a long-term understanding between us that when we find ourselves in a creative contemplative space that that special zone of awareness is to be protected at all costs. Indeed it has long been our shared understanding that the whole point of taking a break, of having a holiday, of a weekend trip, the whole point of leisure is to recreate yourself. The point of the break is not to waste yourself in a restless search for action and for so-called good times. Joseph Pieper, the philosopher, has written that the whole point of leisure, of taking a break from it all, of going on a holiday, is to cultivate the contemplative spirit. He describes the contemplative spirit as that frame of mind that pauses to behold essential things, ultimate things. He is in accord here with St. Paul who urged his readers to meditate upon, and I quote, whatever is true, whatever is noble whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, like contemplate them, Philippians 4 verse 8. In so doing, we are enabled to find, says Pieper, listen to this quote, it is stunning, the ultimate fulfillment, the most perfect expression of being alive, the deepest satisfaction and the fullest achievement of human existence. So to that end, Pieper suggests that there are many ways to raise yourself higher than the low expectations of the common herd. Among the possibilities, Pieper recommends, number one, religious meditation, which he defines as immersion, immersion of the self into the divine mysteries. A second possibility, philosophical reflection. A third, engage in creative artistry. Fourth, to experience the spark of poetry while listening to a poem, fifth, to behold a sculpture and to perceive the artist's intention. Well, through these actions of contemplation, this is like real action, Paper states that, quote, an attitude of receptive openness and attentive silence is required. Again, an attitude of receptive openness and attentive silence is required. This attitude, says Paper, is the exact opposite of that attitude marked by concentrated exertion. So he's imploring his readers to nourish within themselves an attitude that is the exact opposite of what the herd is gathering to do this weekend and next. For there simply is no comparison between what can be attained by an attentive of openness and silence versus the lower level of m- mere concentrated exertion. So Pieper's call is to a deeper life, a contemplative lifestyle. It's a call to quit caring about what Rilke called skin-deep delights. It's a call not to be so automatically satisfied. Now, the effect of becoming a contemplative, of taking the time to behold essential, ultimate things, will lead you, says Pieper, to a, quote, new and rekindled clarity, authenticity, and vigor of your inward existence. Again, taking the time to behold essential, ultimate things will lead you to a new and rekindled clarity, authenticity, and vigor of your inward existence. Instead then, of amusing yourself to death, choose instead to heed Thomas Merton's warning that, and I quote, you will never find inner solitude unless you make some conscious effort to deliver yourself from the desires and the care and the attachments of an existence in time and in the world. Amen, brother. Welcome to these meditation and philosophy podcasts. I'm Al McGee. I'm speaking to you from my home in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Well, I tend not restlessly to be looking for action, as in that song often played in aerobics classes during the 1980s. I actually looked it up. It reads I'm looking for action. Action, nothing more than a physical attraction. I'm looking for satisfaction. Can you give it to me? Well, not quite my style, and not exactly any introvert's theme song. Now, not only am I not looking for action, but I'm inclined also not to be looking for what are sometimes called good times. As almost any crowd gathers for action and for good times, I will be somewhere else and I hope exceedingly hard to find, nowhere to be found. I'll be a long way off and as far away from possible as possible from the noisy crowds for I've ever been like my lifelong friend, Mark, whose mother recalls that Mark during high school years would always come home disappointed after yet another weekend party. My experience too, always disappointed at the big bash, always left feeling empty and alone. So back in high school, I opted out of all that and instead chose to spend time on Saturday evenings with a friend who shared my love for the music of the celestial British band, the Moody Blues. So come Saturday night, while everybody we knew was partying hard, we'd order a pizza and settle into an evening with the Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart shows, Wild Times. Well, then we'd play our Moody Blues records, sometimes into the wee hours of the morning. I can recall in particular one night, Mike and I stayed up till 5 a.m., and What we were doing was analyzing the covers of the Moody Blues albums. Pure bliss. Well, I would say in our own terms, those were good times, the best of times. It was a bit of an effort by two 19 year olds to live in a more contemplative way, to resist participating so fully and pathetically with the culture. It was around that time that I discovered through my research and study the inspiring and I would say discriminating spirit of Thomas Merton who exclaimed, and I quote, Do everything you can to avoid the noise and business of men. Keep as far away as you can, he said, from the places where they gather to cheat and insult one another to exploit one another, to laugh at one another, or to mock one another with false gestures of friendship. He goes on, be glad if you can keep beyond the reach of their radios and and exclaims, do not bother with their songs. Merton, the Trappist monk with the laughing eyes, had no interest in noisy pagan parties. He'd done that, been there, done that, had had quite enough of it and searched for an alternative. He searched for something more, Another pal- parallel here is Plato, the great philosopher, like going back thousands of years, like Merton, challenged the undiscriminating partygoers of his day. Said he, and I quote, they look on their music as if it were mere amusement and think no harm can come from it. That is, they're always looking to be entertained without realizing or even caring, perhaps, that they're numbing their minds and soiling their souls. They are, in other words, caught up in amusing themselves to death. They tend not to be asking whether their latest way of entertaining themselves is morally or spiritually uplifting. And if questioned, the stock response is, well, it's only entertainment. Well, the question is, what's the long-term effect of a lifestyle of stupefying yourself at this event or that every weekend, instead of making at least some effort to become a dignified and admirable human being? Not long ago, my wife and I thought of going to a film, uh, to a Saturday afternoon flick during a weekend trip to Seattle. But as the time drew near, we both became so occupied by our reading, and I remember I was doing a little writing that morning, we left, we just let the time pass, and then it was too late to see the film. And you know, neither of us even looked up at each other, neither of us even cared. Which reflects a long-term understanding between us that when we find ourselves in a creative contemplative space that that special zone of awareness is to be protected at all costs. Indeed, it has long been our shared understanding that the whole point of taking a break of having a holiday of a weekend trip, the whole point of leisure is to recreate yourself. The point of the break is not to waste yourself in a restless search for action and for so-called good times. Joseph Pieper, the philosopher, has written that the whole point of leisure, of taking a break from it all, of going on a holiday, is to cultivate the contemplative spirit. He describes the contemplative spirit as that frame of mind that pauses to behold essential things, ultimate things. He is in accord here with St. Paul who urged his readers to meditate upon, and I quote, whatever is true, whatever is noble whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, like contemplate them, Philippians 4, verse 8. In so doing, we are enabled to find, says Peter, listen to this quote, it is stunning, the ultimate fulfillment, the most perfect expression of being alive, the deepest satisfaction and the fullest achievement of human existence. So to that end, Pieper suggests that there are many ways to raise yourself higher than the low expectations of the common herd. Among the possibilities, Pieper recommends, number one, religious meditation, which he defines as immersion, immersion of the self into the divine mysteries. A second possibility, philosophical reflection. A third, engage in creative artistry. Fourth to experience the spark of poetry while listening to a poem, fifth, to behold a sculpture and to perceive the artist's intention. Well, through these actions of contemplation, this is like real action, Pieper states that, quote, an attitude of receptive openness and attentive silence is required. Again, an attitude of receptive openness and attentive silence is required. This attitude, says Paper, is the exact opposite of that attitude marked by concentrated exertion. So he's imploring his readers to nourish within themselves an attitude that is the exact opposite of what the herd is gathering to do this weekend and next. For there simply is no comparison between what can be attained by an attentive of openness and silence versus the lower level of m- mere concentrated exertion. So Pieper's call is to a deeper life, a contemplative lifestyle. It's a call to quit caring about what Rilke called skin-deep delights. It's a call not to be so automatically satisfied. Now, the effect of becoming a contemplative, of taking the time to behold essential, ultimate things, will lead you, says Pieper, to a, quote, new and rekindled clarity authenticity, and vigor of your inward existence. Again, taking the time to behold essential ultimate things will lead you to a new and rekindled clarity, authenticity, and vigor of your inward existence. Instead then, of amusing yourself to death, choose instead to heed Thomas Merton's warning that, and I quote, you will never find inner solitude unless you make some conscious effort to deliver yourself from the desires and the care and the attachments of an existence in time and in the world. Amen, brother.